Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So many years ago, after the first term of uh, President Barack Obama, I remember seeing a meme online. And if you don't know what a meme is, turn around and ask somebody younger now. A meme is like a funny picture with words on it that makes fun of something to make a point. And uh, in this meme, uh, it was former President Bush smiling and the meme said, miss me yet. And then a few years later, um, well, the reason why that, that somebody made that was during that time there was a lot of fighting around reforming healthcare and other issues. And then I remember about a year or two into President Trump's administration, I saw another meme, and this time it was former President Barack Obama smiling, and what do you think the meme said? Miss me yet. And that made me chuckle. And, and reading the passage from Isaiah somehow reminded me of this. Uh, and this was, of course, referring to the seeming lack of self-awareness, right, that the president seemed to have in responding to everything on Twitter and basically riling up the media into a, friend, into a frenzy. Both President Obama as well as President Trump, though on different sides of the political aisle, they ran kind of on very similar platforms, right? We all remember President Obama's phrase was, you know, hope and change, and President Trump's was uh, make America great again, you know? Both are catchy, easy to remember, and most importantly, eminently tweetable and shareable. Now, they're not the only ones who use slogans right, to try and summarize and highlight a core message. All politicians do this to varying degrees and all kind of seek to outdo each other uh, on whose message is the best. You know, if you go to uh, Elizabeth Warren on her website, she's selling mugs that says, uh, mug on the mug, it says billionaire tears, right? Because a while ago, a conservative guy came out one that said liberal tears, right? So every, every side has to have, their, has to have their, their slogan. And there's another candidate who sells shirts and hats that says math, make America think again. And I mention these because every few years, we work ourselves up supporting deeply flawed people on the left and on the right who think they know what's best for us. And we get into arguments over which person can truly lead us away from whatever cliff we're on the edge of teetering off of at the time. And we do this because we have an idealized picture in our minds of what uh, America was or what it should be, regardless of what side of the political aisle we are on. And also to top it off, we all have an idealized figure, right? This great person who we hold up as the one person who really got what was going on in the past and even in spite of some flaws, was the best at it. And we all hope our, our candidate can live up to that. And the situation in Palestine at the time of Christ, even though it's far removed from the political systems of our day, there are some interesting similarities between their expectations of a coming king and the expectations of a coming king and what that coming king brings in our own time. So when we turn to the passage of Isaiah, it says, uh, we, we get some pretty stunning things read to us. It contains two things to note. It contains the promise of a king and the king's activities of a ruler. We're gonna stick primarily in Isaiah today. It starts off with, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Now we all know, if, if, we, if we've read our Bibles, and if you don't know, that's okay. I'll tell you who it is. Who is 
this referring to? Like, who, is, who generally is the son of Jesse in the Bible? David, right? David, David, the son of Jesse, anointed king over Israel by the prophet Samuel. Now think to yourself, when you read the Bible, David hardly ever shows up, right? Kind of a minor king, kind of unimportant. They just kind of gloss over his life story, right? No, David is like one of, is like the most, probably besides Solomon, right? One of the most important kings that we see in, in, in the Bible, in the, in the Old Testament. And when we look back on his life, we see God promise him that as long as he follows God, then his heirs will always sit on the throne. And God honors his word to David. And in David, even though he himself committed many, many sins, he repented of those sins, and he's seen as an example of a godly king. David was also a warrior king. He was tasked with fighting the enemies of the people of God, and he led many campaigns against the Philistines, the Amalekites, and others. He was surrounded by mighty men of valor who accomplished great deeds for him. He reigned under a united kingdom, all 12 tribes of Israel, after the death of Saul and his sons. He conquered the Jebusite city of Jerusalem, and he made Jerusalem his capital, and he had the Ark of the Covenant brought there to Jerusalem. He's credited with, with writing many psalms, and he desired to build a temple for God. We also have a really interesting story of him as they're bringing the Ark into Jerusalem to bring it up into uh, where the tabernacle will be because there's no temple yet. He's dancing around in his skivvies. Imagine that. <laughs> right? All, all us dancing in our PJs, walking into church. <laughs> he... <laughs> He was told, uh, he, he, he asked God, God he, well, he started the plans, like, God, I want to build you a temple, and God told him no. But what he began to do is store up material that his son Solomon would use later on to construct a temple. And he sounds like a pretty amazing guy, like an amazing king. And even after the disaster with Bathsheba and Uriah, because of his repentance, he's considered a king who followed after God faithfully. If there's any king anyone would want to emulate, it would be David. Indeed, when we read scripture, when we read the kings of Judah, it'll, the Bible will tell you he followed God as his father David did. Or it'll say he did not follow uh, God. He did not honor God the way that David, his, his father, did. So imagine hundreds of years later, right? The United Kingdom has been split into Israel and Judah. And Judah is the kingdom where David's descendants will still reign. And they're constantly with odds with one another, as well as with their surrounding enemies. Now, eventually, Israel is going to be completely wiped out by the Assyrians and all of its people led into exile, leaving only Judah. And Judah, right when we read you know, the book of Jeremiah, they're also going to be in exile, but they'll be led back after a, a amount of time. So with all of that background, imagine how this passage of Scripture would have sounded to them probably unbelievable. We are going to get a new king. This new king is going to be amazing. Just as the spirit of the Lord was on the prophets of old, so too will the spirit of the Lord rest upon this king. He's going to know what to do. He's going to know how to rule practically. He's going to be a good military leader. He's going to have good diplomatic judgment. He's going to know the Lord. So he will be a faithful ruler, a faithful follower of Yahweh. Imagine hearing a prophecy like this at the time of Isaiah, where Isaiah tells them a king is coming who's going to do all of this amazing stuff, this reign. What's going to characterize this coming king's reign, this descendant of David, righteousness and justice? 
And righteousness is mentioned several times here. So in light of being gifted wisdom, understanding, and counsel by the Spirit of the Lord, he will be the only one who can judge rightly and fairly. It says he will bring justice for the meek and the poor, people who throughout history are always marginalized and scapegoated. And we have an interesting shift, too, here, right? For some reason, predatory animals no longer hunt their prey, and their prey no longer run from them. In fact, they lay down to rest together, and just for good measure, we'll throw a little baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, here, there's a viper's nest over there. I said, go put your arm in there. Okay, Dad, nothing, right? Nothing. No, no, no biting, no, no chasing, no killing, no tearing. We have this very interesting shift. And there's this impossible presence of peace that has changed everything during the reign of this king. And this happens because the earth, Isaiah says, that's later taken up by the prophet Habakkuk, shall be full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. And we understand that this king then is not just a regular human king, but this king is God himself come at last to set everything right. Think of it, a world finally at rest, where all striving has come to an end, when all sin has been dealt with. And we have to note who brings this about. Right? God brings this about, not me not you, not legislation. God brings it to pass. That does not free us, however, from caring about the meek and the poor and seeking justice for them. Rather, it frees us to work for them in the here and now, knowing that the Lord is one day going to come and set everything right. And he says here, Isaiah, in the setting everything right, he, he also says this, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Passages like this make us really uncomfortable, really uncomfortable. And oftentimes what churches, many people do in churches, they, they don't like to talk about this aspect of the coming of Christ, which for us is not a time of doom and gloom, but a time of joy, a time of God is come and everything is being put back in order. Everything is being set right. For everything to be made right, for every injustice, every evil act, that has been done in secret, for that to be avenged means that those who committed those acts will not get away with them. And remember, this king has the spirit of wisdom and counsel and understanding. This king is the only one who could do this. This is a promise for us, brothers and sisters, a promise of hope that, what, that all human wickedness that looks like it will never be accounted for will eventually be, be dealt with. I remember there was a movie a long time ago. I don't remember the name off the top of my head. All I remember is the bad guy monologuing to the good guy. And one of the things he says, in this world, the bad guy can win. And to an extent, he's absolutely right. In this world, the wicked can win. We even see that in the Psalms, where the psalmist will say, Lord, why do the wicked prosper? Why do they triumph over me? But what we hear with passages like this, all of human sinfulness, all act of human wickedness that is done in secret, that, can, that, that, will, that no one would ever know about, when the Lord returns, he will set everything right. Every evil will be accounted for and every evil dealt with. Sooner or later, that day will come. And at the end of the passage, we see something amazing that, that he not only will rule over all of the nations, 
not over Israel, but also over all the nation. And St. Paul continues that, right, in his reading, in that reading that we heard from the book of Romans. He continues his thought about the Gentiles, and he explicitly says the promise that God made to the patriarchs was not just for Israel, but for the nations, for the Gentiles, right? This coming king is, 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 has come in the person of Jesus Christ. And this rule and reign that Jesus Christ is bringing, he's already, we talked about this a few weeks ago, right? The already and the not yet. It has begun while we await its coming in its fullness, right? This has begun to happen and God will bring it to pass. But he says, that he says the promise God made to the patriarchs was not just for Israel. So you have to wrap your mind around how in the time of St. Paul, how how revolutionary that would have sounded to the Jewish listeners. And that's part of the task of the book of Romans, right? You had the Jewish Christians, were, all the Jews, if they were Christians or not, were expelled from the city of Rome for, I think, a year or two, and were eventually able to come back in. And then when the Jewish Christians came back in, when they tried to reintegrate with the Gentile Christians, there was some conflict. And St. Paul writes, that's one of the reasons why he writes the book of Romans, to help them work through this issue, right? Because for the Jews of the time, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their patriarchs, right? That is the one who God spoke the promises to. The Gentiles did not get the patriarchs. But what St. Paul does, what he says in Romans is, you had the patriarchs, you had the law, the Gentiles had nat uh, natural revelation from God, right? That they didn't have the law codified like they did, but they still had the revelation, however God revealed to them at the time. So nobody is without excuse, Paul says. So the promise of the patriarchs is not just for the people of Israel, but for all nations. This root of Jesse will come forth not only as one who will rule Israel, but as rule of justice, righteousness, and love will draw in the entire world. Because like Isaiah writes here, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. And when we hear about this, this word knowledge, right, it's not a mental kind of, oh yeah, I know God in my head. I can tick off these boxes. This knowledge is experiential, right? It's an experiential relationship that we have. And so you might think to yourself, well, how is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord going to be spread throughout all of the earth? And if you're scratching your head thinking that, you might as well turn that scratch into a pointer and point it at yourself. Because when we hear words like this, we should think back to Genesis. When it says God created male and female, it says God created them in his what? Image. And in his likeness. And he tasks them as his image bearers to spread that throughout all of the earth. So what we see over here is a recapitulation of everything God was telling his people to do in Genesis. We as the body of Christ, made in the image of God, are taking that light to the nations. What, who Christ is, what Christ has done for us, forgiving our sins, freeing us from death, uniting us into the family of God. This is not just for a select group of people, but for all nations. And you, brothers and sisters, are the vehicle of the beginning of that transformation. And you might think, <laughs> think to yourself, wow, that's a lot of pressure. It kind of is, right? <laughs> it kind of is, let's be honest. It's a lot of pressure that you, each and every single one of us as individuals, we are to bear the image of God 
to others. We are to bring the light of Christ to others through works, through good deeds, through helping the poor, all of that important work. But we also spread the knowledge of the glory of the Lord through the preaching of the gospel by calling people to repent and to turn away from their sins and to be baptized and to trust in Christ for forgiveness of sins. We can't have the one without the other. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the water covers the sea. And we will one day, brothers and sisters, receive a king who will deliver on all of the promises of hope and change, all of the promises of truly becoming great, the promise that we wait for in Advent, that begins in Advent, our Lord Jesus Christ's incarnation, the entrance of the glory of the Lord into the world localized in a baby boy. And through Christ, the glory will spread from one to another, from me to you and to those you come in contact and minister to yourselves. It will spread from one to another, just as it began thousands of years ago in Bethlehem, moving through history and will eventually envelop the entire world. And may our Lord Jesus Christ, this Advent season, fill us with joy and may he prepare our hearts to receive him and may we bring his light and love and righteousness and justice to a world awaiting him. And we give him all glory and honor together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to check us out online, zionstoneucc.com, or on our Facebook page, ZionStoneUCC. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, shoot me an email at malandsman at gmail.com or through our social media page, like I just mentioned. If you could take a couple minutes, we would appreciate it if you went to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash savezionstone in order to donate towards some big repairs that we need to have done to the church. So if you could donate anything, we would greatly appreciate it. If you're in the area, come worship with us. Our services are at 1015 and our Sunday school is at 9 a.m. Thank you so much again for listening. May God bless you.